Well, just where you're at, would you pray with me? Father, we, we come to you, God, and really just even thinking about the words that we just sang, God, do we, do we come with selfless faith or do we come with selfish motives? Because many times I find that we do come with selfish motives, a desire to see a, a benefit, something that we would desire to have in our life. And sometimes, God, it's just the simple fact of knowing who you are and knowing you in a greater way. And so, God, today I pray that as we just, as we sang those words, that we see a generation with selfless faith. May we be people with selfless faith. God, may we be the people that begin or, or really just see a, a move of your spirit across uh, our community, across the city, and across the nation and the world. God, that a, a near revival, God, knowing that, that, that we can look and we can see a near revival if your people were just obedient to you, if we called upon you, if we prayed and sought you out day in and day out, how you could revive our hearts, you could revive our homes, our marriages, you could revive our cities. And God, we know that it's a God-sized task that only you can accomplish. And God, we are waiting and ready. We are asking you to pour out your spirit. We're asking you to move in a way that we have never seen before, that more and more people would come to Christ as a result of what you are doing in the lives of your people, the church. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to be referencing a couple verses uh, today, but I want you to understand this. We've, we've been going through our Fixer Upper series. We're going to be wrapping it up, and I'm going to give a shameless plug for our next series uh, is going to be starting not next week, but the following week. Obviously, I'll be in Mexico next week, and Matt is going to be preaching. I'm looking forward to listening to that when, we, when I come back, but uh, Matt's going to be preaching, uh, and Matt has been, was a pastor for a while, uh, still loves pastoral stuff. Uh, and things like that. So Matt's going to be preaching next week, but the following week we're going to be starting a, a new series called Hello, My Name is God, all right? And we're going to be talking about the names of God, the names that God calls himself when he's revealing himself to people through his word. And so we're going to be looking at things like Adonai, and we're going to be looking at Jehovah Jireh, and you, you guys know those names and, and things like that. So we're going to be looking at those El Shaddai and things like that. We're going to look at those names. We're going to run through with that through Easter, uh, and then following Easter, we'll jump into a new sermon series. But I, I want to encourage you to be here, uh, be ready to go, uh, to dig deep, to understand what God uh, is really explaining when we talk about, hello, my name is God. Recently, uh, my wife and I remodeled our bathroom. And uh, while we remodeled our bathroom, I learned quite a bit of things. And, and really, this is my second bathroom. We did our master bath about two and a half years ago. But one of the things I learned is this. Everybody loves to destroy things, right? I mean, like, like you always watch the HGTV shows, right? Like when somebody jumps in and they're like, man, I'm so excited. They get in, they tear everything up, and it's a quick fix usually. The, the, the destruction is very fast. Like they come in with sledgehammers. They're knocking out sheetrock. They're willing to take out walls. Um, the big problem is this. That looks really super awesome, and it really is fun, especially if you need to vent a little bit. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that once you're done with the deconstruction phase, now the real fun begins. The longer work begins, all right? The more tedious work begins, all right? And what I want you to understand is this, that we get really good at destroying things, and we get really bad at building things back. Don't we? 
We, we let things come into our lives, into our marriages, into our homes, into our families that destroy, but we don't necessarily spend the time and the energy and the effort building it back up or strengthening it and equipping it and encouraging it and, and investing in it. And I want you to think about this. Your relationships are a lot like pulling weeds and planting seeds. And so just like the deconstruction and construction phase is, in gardening or in anything else, whether it's grass seed or things like that, there are times where you have to pull weeds and you have to what? Plant. You have to plant seeds. The problem is this. A lot of times we want to go through the marriage issues and the relationship problems and we love to pull weeds, right? We got this problem, we'll pull that weed out. We got another problem, we'll pull this weed out. We got another problem, we pull this issue out. The problem is this, and what I've noticed in my yard is when I have a bare spot, something's gonna grow, right? Like, like I can plant grass seed and grass seed will grow, or if I leave it bare, what ends up popping up? At least in my yard, there's like this funny looking, I have no clue what it is, so don't ask me, I, I could care less what it is. It's just this funny looking flower thing that every now and then will kind of bloom out in like this purplish little weird tiny flower. And I, don't ask me why. I, it's our yard here. But if I got a bare spot, it's like that stuff pops up. And what I want you to see is this, that when you're cultivating a relationship, it's very easy to deconstruct or weed it out. But the problem is, when it comes back to construction, most of us aren't good at the construction part. When it comes back to planting the seed, we skip that part and we think, well, if I just pulled the weed, I'm fine. But you didn't plant anything else. And so when we're talking about this fixer-upper idea and rehabbing your relationships, I really want to challenge you with this, the truth of this, that we need to be people who are pulling weeds. we got to look for the problems. we got to look for the issues. we got to look for the struggles. But we are also got to be planting seed. When we recently remodeled our bathroom, I, I was hoping it was going to be an easy thing. All right? Uh, the problem was, when I got down to it, they had installed the tub wrong so it wasn't level. And so, and I knew it was going to be an issue, but I was hoping that the wood wouldn't be rotted underneath, all right? So, but when I pulled up the old tile, it was like, uh-oh. And I could almost stick my floor, or my finger through the floor. It was that soft and brittle, and I'm like, oh, great, this is not good. And so, I have to rip the tub out, and when I rip the tub out, I got to cut up the floor, and I put new floor in, and all that stuff. But I want you to think what happens is a lot of times what we do is we go, oh, there's a rotten floor, or there's a weed. And what we do is we just try and cover it. See, the proper fix was to rip up the floor and replace it with new wood. The improper fix would have been, ah, just covered up, tiles going over it anyways, who cares? Now, from my standpoint, I do. It's my house. Everything is, should be done right. I, I say if you're going to do it, you do it once, you do it right, right? I don't want to be fixing it all the time. But I want you to understand that marriage and relationships in general take work, do they not? Not just marriage relationships, but marriage and relationships in general take work. And if you're a person who is constantly pulling weeds and not planting seeds, you're going to have more and more problems. You're going to have more and more neglect. You're going to have more and more bare spots. You're going to have more and more weeds and struggles. And so I want to ask you this. Are you in a relationship that in some way, shape, or form you feel is neglected? Maybe it's a husband and wife. 
Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a relationship with your parents. Maybe there are those things that we play out. And I want you to see that if you are in a marriage or in a relationship that in some way, shape, or form has a picture of neglect, that there are things that are going to be evident that show some signs of lack of care. There are going to be things that you're going to see in that relationship that are going to show some lack of care. All right? Last I checked, gardens just don't pop up out of nowhere, do they? Like, you don't drive past a house and go, man, that house is awesome. That person does absolutely nothing to plant. They don't work on the flowers at all, do they? No. You got the people who don't take care of anything, and you got the people who take care of it, and it makes it look beautiful. The person who doesn't take care of anything is not going to have a beautiful garden, are they? They're not going to have beautiful flowers growing outside their house. They're not going to have that stuff because why? They're not taking care of it. There is a taking care of it aspect that we have to understand. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I know this verse, I understand what it's talking to, but I want you to get this. Sec, or Sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I said 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, no, I am correct, 2 Corinthians, I'm dumber than a box of rocks. I got my book, my Bible open to 2 Corinthians, and I'm, all right, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, and it says this, whoever sows sparingly, will also reap, what? Sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Matter of fact, you could even flip over to Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, and it says, a man reaps what he sows. The one who sows is sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will also reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from that Spirit uh, will reap eternal life. What you sow is what you reap. In other words, in your relationships, what you put into the relationship is also what you receive back from the relationship. And so if you put anger, impatience, frustration, vengeance, fighting, what are you going to get back? Anger, frustration, vengeance, fighting, impatience, you're going to receive the same thing back. Why? Because what you reap is what you so, and you're going to reap only what you sow into the relationship. And so I want you to remember that because what we sow, this is the key point. If you remember anything, you remember this. What we sow in our relationship is what we receive out of them. You get what you put into it. Your marriage is only as good as what you're willing to put into it. If there is constant conflict within the marriage, you're going to have problems. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to have disagreements. And so here's the big question. How can we grow in our relationships? All right? How can we grow in our relationships? And we're going to un- uncover a couple things that I think we need to look at. Number one, we're going to talk about pulling weeds. All right? And pulling weeds, we got to learn to deal with conflict. Now, I'm going to have my wife come up here. I really had this great, perfect illustration planned out. The only problem is I forgot my son's boxing gloves. My son recently got boxing gloves, and I was like, "Woohoo, boxing gloves. I'm going to put them on, and we're going to get into it. Only that wouldn't be fair, would it? Right? If I had boxing gloves and she had bare fists, who's going to get the worst? <laughs> Especially with the fact that, number one, I'd never hit my wife. All right? And so what we have to... 
What? Yeah, well, rings too. That's, yeah, mine are flat. All right. But what we have to begin to remember is that in conflict, a lot of times when we enter conflict in any relationship, not just marriage, how do we deal with conflict? What do we want to do? Knock them out. That's the, we want to what? I want to win. So when we get into conflict in a marriage relationship, here's how it goes. Well, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm going to win, you're not, so I'm going to say whatever it takes to make you feel stupid. Right? That's usually how it goes. Most relationships, when we have a problem with conflict, it ends up that way. How do we handle conflict? (laughs) Am I the perfect conflict person? No. No. Why? Serious. No, I didn't tell her. This is why I'm putting her on the spot. Um, why? Yes. Who thinks they're always right? Yeah, <laughs> I'm throwing myself under the bus here if you haven't figured you, this out. You don't admit when you're wrong. No, that's right. Right. See? Even so, if it's like in writing and it's been proven. <laughs> <laughs> She'll pull out the phone and she's like, who's wrong? And I'm like, I'm not wrong. What, what was it the song other day? Lyrics. Yeah, song lyrics the other day. We were arguing about song lyrics from last Sunday. <laughs> I was like, no, you're wrong. She's like, no, I'm right. I'm singing it right. You're singing it wrong. I'm like, uh-uh. I'm the kid who, like, you know, when you heard him sing a song in elementary school, you'd be like, bro, that's not the right words. Yes, it is. No, it's not. See? Oh. <laughs> but we were arguing about this last week, all right? And so what I want you to understand is this. And, and we kind of use it as a joking thing, but at the same time, when you fight to win, whoops, sorry. Uh, when you fight to win, <laughs> when you fight to win, you fight to lose. Do you get that picture? When you fight to win as a couple, you fight to lose as an individual. Because the point of conflict in a marriage, sorry, thank you. I, I really wanted to, uh, I was going to give her the boxing gloves, uh, and I was going to tell her to take a free whack and hit me in the head, but I, I decided not to do that. Anyways, no, I forgot the boxing gloves. Um, but listen to this. In conflict, if you always have disagreements and conflict, you're only going to get more and more conflict, especially when you strive only to win. See, conflict in a marriage relationship should bring you closer to each other. There could be disagreements, There can be struggles, there can be problems, but conflict in a marriage relationship should help you rely more upon Christ in that relationship so that you can become united together as a couple. Don't use conflict to divide. A lot of times we use conflict to divide, like, see, told you, you're wrong, and we continue to go down that road. Now, jokingly, I always say I'm right, and even if I'm wrong, I always say I'm Right, this is wrong, right? Okay, but I want you to see what happens, and we kind of make it a joke, because if it comes down to where the rubber meets the road, I will go, okay, I know, but we joke a lot about it. You have to have a little bit of fun, but with conflict becomes problems. Matter of fact, James chapter 4 says this, and this is talking really not in marriage in general, but as, as just to the church as a whole. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Listen to this. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill, you covet, but you get, or you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. What causes quarrels and fights among relationships? 
You're not getting what you want or desire. And anytime I allow my wants and desires to set the tone for a relationship, then I'm set up for failure. I automatically go to becoming a selfish person. So conflict oftentimes stems from selfishness in my heart, which says you're not giving me what I want. Keyword, want. Yes, or me, yeah, me or want. Me, want, me, want. That's like what? That's like a two-year-old. Me, want. (laughs) You know, your kid want milk. Me, want. Uh, That's literally the picture that's taking place. Conflict arises when we don't get our desires or our wants met. And conflict occurs when they're not fulfilled. So as a result, unfulfilled desires may result in anger, which leads to fighting and quarreling. I recently went and, and was talking with an individual. I felt like I was, I was becoming very impatient. I was very short. So I went and saw a Christian counselor not too long ago. Uh, first time I've ever done this. Uh, and I basically said, bro, I'm about to lose my mind because I got no patience. My anger has gone through the roof. I feel like I'm snapping at my kids all the time. I don't know what to do. And you know what the guy told me? What do you do to get rid of anger? And I'm like, what do you mean? What do I do? I hold it in. And he's like, why? Now, here's the issue. There's a right way to deal with it. And what he said is this. If anger stems or comes out at a 10, you have to learn not to get to a 10. You have to learn to stop at a two or four. So his example was, what, what frustrates you? I said, well, number one, with my son, disobedience. Drives me nuts. When I say something, you do it, right? So here we go into James, right? I'm not getting what I, which is his obedience, okay? So he's like, okay, so on a scale, what would like your son not obeying do to you? And I'm like, well, it just depends, Because if it's an ongoing thing, like three or four things disobedient real quick, I can go from a one to a ten quick. And he says, okay, so here's what you have to do. When you get to that four, you got to find a bleed off. He says, you got to think about an air pressure tank. Now, this, this fits well with me, an air compressor. An air compressor can only build up so much pressure. Then it's got a safety shutoff switch so the air compressor doesn't keep building up pressure and then have the tank explode. You guys know that, right? They have a bleed-off valve. If a bleed-off valve is set to a certain pressure, when the pressure gets above that, it starts to bleed off. He said, you got to pull the bleed-off valve, bro, because you're letting everything go through the roof, and you got to learn to create a bleed-off to let it go. So he goes, why is that set you off? What, what about those things? And he says, what about it set you off? I'm like, well, I can't control it. Okay, so what else sets you off? Well, crazy drivers. And I'm like, look, I don't lash out. I'm not cussing. I'm not throwing no fingers. I'm not doing none of that stuff. I just get ticked off. Like I mumble words and Sarah goes, you got to let it go. And I'm like, let it go. We're not frozen here. I'm not letting it go. Not, I don't have no pull-off valve. And so I had to learn. I got to start to, okay, get over it. When a person cuts you off, what do you got to do? I got to bleed the pressure off. Conflict in a marriage relationship often comes because we don't bleed the pressure off. We let little things become big things. We don't talk about it. We don't converse. And so conflict leads to problems. Resolving conflict, and I'm going to throw this up there. I'm going to give you quick things. Resolving conflict comes when, number one, I examine my own heart and I ask God to show me, what have I done? What have I done? 
So if you want to resolve conflict, start with that. Examine your own heart. Ask, what have I done? What have I done to offend this person? How have I treated him? Am I loving him? Am I showing him respect? Number two, all right? Resolving conflict stops or starts when I quit trying to win. We don't always have to win. Now, that's coming from an athlete who thinks everything in life is about what? Winning. All right? To me, it's like if you're going to play the game, you play to win. You know, I'm the, I'm the guy who, when they say, well, it's not all about winning, I'm like, that's because you lost all the time, bro. You, you get the picture, right? But when we enter into a relationship with that mentality, you're always going to try and win, and who's always the loser? It's going to be the other person, but in reality, it's who? You, because your relationships are always going to suffer. So to resolve conflict, I examine my own heart. I quit trying to win. I have to learn to choose my words, listen, carefully. And this goes all the way around. This isn't just in marriage. This isn't just with your kids. This is in every relationship. I choose my words carefully. Because when we're hurt, oftentimes, what do we do? Bam. It's like a cobra or a rattlesnake lashing out and striking at the victim. And once you say those words, you can't take them back. So I learned to choose my words carefully. And then the number four, and we're going to jump into this here a little bit more, we're going to give forgiveness generously. So dealing with conflict is a big one. That's a pulling a weed, and, and then we're going to plant seeds. Number two, selfishness. Do you always desire to win? This is, this is a weed you need to pull. If you always desire to win, do you try and get the, the best seat, control the remote, control the relationship? Do you try and make the decisions on everything? Do you, do you tell your wife or husband, well, you're the selfish one. You always want it your way or, or, or things like that. Do you get those types of things? Because selfishness is a sin. And there may be nothing more destructive in a relationship than somebody who says, it's all about me. You're not meeting my needs. You're not saying the things I want you to say. You're not loving me. You're not doing... Me, 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 me becomes a problem. And so pulling weeds, I have to pull weeds of selfishness. As a matter of fact, anybody ever got a leech on you? It's kind of nasty, isn't it? All right? But here's the problem with leech. Everybody can't stand the leech syndrome. You know what I mean. Selfishness is really a leech syndrome because a selfish person sucks the life out of everybody else. They suck the fun out of the situations, the fun out. When you become selfish, you suck the life out of everybody else. Why? Because everybody else feels like they got to meet your desires to make you happy. Like, well, if we're not going to do it, then I'm not going. Well, if we don't do it this way, I'm not going to do it. And selfishness becomes a weed we got to pull. Number three, the third weed I think we have to look at is laziness. And what I mean by that in a relationship is this. You can't be lazy in a relationship and expect it to go anywhere. If I'm constantly pulling weeds and never planting seeds, I'm going to have a garden of more weeds. And the more and more weeds shoot up, the worse and worse my garden is going to be. So you have to pay attention. You have to begin to regularly work on and invest in your relationships. Why? Because pulling weeds is just the beginning. Pulling weeds is just the start. I have to be somebody who's planting seeds. And so here's where we're going to camp out the rest of the time. Planting seeds. Every relationship needs care and investment to thrive and reflect the grace of Jesus to others. Did you hear that? Every relationship 
needs care and investment in order, listen, in order to reflect the grace of Jesus to others. If you want your relationship to thrive and to grow, it's going to take care, it's going to take investment. And guess what that means first? And I'm not even going to focus on this part, but the first reality in a care and relationship, in any relationship you have, should be that first primary relationship that you have with God. Any sort of investment you can make into your wife or your kids or your coworkers has to stem from or flow from that relationship, that daily relationship you have with Jesus Christ through His Word and time and prayer. If you don't have that, you can't give what you don't have. You cannot invest in that relationship spiritually, emotionally, or any other way if you don't have what you cannot give. You don't have a strong relationship with Jesus. You can't make your kids or expect your kids to have a strong relationship with Jesus. If you don't be obedient to Jesus on the day-in, day-out things in your life, your kids aren't going to be obedient in the day-in, day-out things in their lives. That's why most parents will come to me and go, what? I don't understand the problem. Well, you've taught your kids that Jesus isn't necessarily a priority. It's only when you feel comfortable with it. Jesus must be the first priority. So as I say that, when I say planting seeds, I want you to understand your first seed should be that. But here's the deal. In planting seeds, I believe that there are three we're going to look at today that I think you have to plant consistently in any relationship in order for it to bloom. In order for the relationship to grow, to prosper, in the midst of the weeds that are still going to infiltrate your garden, trust me, it's going to happen. You're going to have those issues. You're going to have the conflicts. You're going to have the laziness. You're going to have selfishness at times. But in the midst of those weeds that infiltrate, if you're planting seeds, seeds of these things, then you're going to have some success in your relationships. Number one, I believe, is this. If I'm planting seeds, what kind of seeds should I be planting? Number one is love. I should be planting seeds of love. That means grace-filled love. Why? Because grace-filled love reflects the love of God first and foremost. And here's how I want to make you see this. Love is a choice, not a feeling. Too many times we go, oh, I feel so in love. Love is a choice, not a feeling. I'm going to use an example. And I might, if, if, well, I'm going to use an example and you're just going to have to take it, all right? But you have to choose your love. Matter of fact, I found this quote, choose your love and love your choice. Love is a choice, not a feeling. Now, listen to me. I remember, and I still get those feelings with my wife, but there are something about the butterflies. There's just this cool, awesome little butterfly feeling that like when your wife dresses up, there's just things you're like, oh man, I remember those days. But love is a choice. And I want you to see what happens. Because if love was a feeling, Jesus would have never went to the cross. You want to know why? Let me show you. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. If love is solely based on a feeling, listen to what Jesus says. My father, as he's in the garden, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you. Do you hear the feeling, the emotion that Jesus is having? If there is any other way. But Jesus was obedient. Why? Because his love was a choice. The choice to be obedient to the Father and to accomplish what God the Father had started from the beginning. Love is not based upon a feeling. And listen, I know those feelings are so strong and I love those feelings. I'm not taking that away, but love is a choice. 
Love is a choice. And so when you think about that, am I loving, am I choosing to love my spouse? Am I choosing to love my kids? Am I choosing to love those people that I work with, that I serve, that I relate to? See, Jesus wasn't feeling the love, was he? Jesus was not going, oh man, this just feels so awesome. I got butterflies in my stomach. Jesus is going, God, if there is any other way. But he realized, not my will, but yours. When Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus chose love. When Jesus stayed on the cross, Jesus chose love. Remember, if you are the Son of God, why don't you call on the angels and the armies and they'll come and take you off that. No, Jesus chose love. That's the choice we make. Love must be a choice. And the quality, matter of fact, there's a, there's a quote, there's a great book I've been reading. Um, I would tell you that it's, it's by a guy named Paul David Tripp. I gave you a quote last week from it. I think it's, uh, what did you expect? I believe is what it is. It's a marriage, a book on marriage. And he says this, the quality and character of your marriage isn't set in two or three grand moments of choice. In other words, those big moments. But it's rather formed in the thousands of little moments of saying yes to one thing and no to another. Your choosing love is learning to say in the small things, yes to some things and no to the others. Why? Because it's the small things that add up. Just ask your wife, gentlemen. My wife would rather have love you and showing it day in and day out than me to go out and screw everything up and then come back and offer some one big moment of forgiveness and grace or, or one big moment of, of confession and repentance. The small things add up over and over and over again. And so this idea of having a great relationship and rehabbing and planting weeds and pulling seeds starts with love. I have to plant a seed of love. Number two. If you want to have success in your relationships, not only do you need to plant a seed of love, you need to plant a seed of service. In Mark chapter 10, verses 43 through 45, Jesus is talking about leadership, and he says, not so with you. The, 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 the disciples that come to him basically said, who's, who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus said, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and here's the beautiful thing when there is mutual service among a husband and wife there's this unity that takes place and guess what happens to selfishness why when I serve my wife with no strings attached, there's this love that takes place. There's this service attitude that takes place. And when she serves me, guess what we end up doing? Here's what I've found at least. The more I serve my wife, it's like the more I want to serve her. The more I lead out with that service aspect, the more I represent and I'm planting seeds of service to my wife, guess what? The better my marriage is, the better the relationship is, and the big payoff I'll just leave it there. <laughs> At least you guys laughed about it, so. Listen to this. The cross of Jesus was designed to free us from the me-first mentality 
that most of us get. From the self-centered attitude we have, Jesus shows the way to put others first. Jesus' death on the cross was the key to planting a seed of love, but Jesus' death on the cross was also the key to service. Because Jesus said, while you were yet sinners, I still died for you. He's, he's living a life of service. And so when we think about those things, if we want to have success in our relationships, then we have to learn to serve because one of the greatest things you can do is to serve others. Serving in love. Listen to this. Serving in love means we would be committed in our relationship to the fruits of the Spirit. Think about this. When I serve my wife based upon the love I have for her because of what Jesus has done for me, then my fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in my life would be this, love, joy in my marriage, joy with my wife, peace in my marriage, peace with my wife. You get the picture, right? Love, joy, peace, Uh uh-oh, wait, patience, kindness, gentleness. Oh, get this, self-control. Why? Because Jesus is working in my heart and that Spirit is calling me to do what He's called me to do to be obedient, and as I'm obedient, then the fruit of the Spirit should be evident in the relationship with my wife. The fruit of the Spirit should also be evident in your relationship with your coworkers, or the waiter or waitress who just messed up your order, or the Walmart person who's not very nice, or the person driving down 23rd Street just cut you off and then slammed on their brakes and turned right in front of you. <laughs> That's just me casting a stone at myself, right? So, okay. Love, joy, peace, patience. Those are things we see laid out or played out in our life as a result of that. And one more quote, real quick. This is my last one from Paul David Tripp. See, when we serve each other, we begin to understand that the big battles in marriage are not the ones you fight with your spouse but the ones that are fought in your heart. The battle in the marriage is oftentimes the one that's fought in our heart, and because we have problems in our heart, because of the situations and the struggles and the guilt and the shame and the hatred and sometimes those things that we look at and we're like, I'm not pleased with this, we end up taking it out on other people. But the battle has already been won. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he says, I forgive you of those sins. You have to learn to put my, your faith and trust in him, to follow him, to let him fill you, to let the spirit lead you, to let God call you out, to let God correct you, to let the power of the word change your heart so that you can bear the fruit of the spirit. Why? Because you can't bear the fruit of the spirit without the spirit, right? No spirit, no fruit. If I have the spirit, I have fruit. And so I can bear that out. And then the last thing, if you want to have success in your marriage and planting seeds, you have to plant the seed of forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, be kind and compassionate to one another. Keep in mind, this is not talking about your spouse only, but to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, listen, just as Christ Jesus forgave you. When you forgive somebody else, you should forgive them just as Jesus has forgiven you. Guess what that means? Remember this verse I just said? 
while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means Jesus forgives you of everything, even in the midst of your flaws, sins, imperfections, problems. So when I plant seeds, when I'm pulling up those weeds, the weeds of conflict, the weeds of doubt and discouragement, laziness, selfishness, things like that, I begin to plant seeds of love and service and forgiveness. Why? Because that's how relationships bloom. That's how relationships prosper. That's how, listen, that's how gardens grow. And I want to be the key figure here. I want you to see this, that as God's word infiltrates your heart, as God's word changes your heart, as you do that battle over the very thing inside, those internal things, God's word becomes, listen, fertilizer for the relationship. It becomes the very thing that gives us the nutrients and the sustenance and the, the benefits so that you can grow where you're planted. So that the very relationships that you are taking part in can bloom and prosper. So that you can be a person who's not a leech, but a life giver. A person who speaks life and love to those around you. Those you work with. Those you come into contact with on a daily basis. Those that are in your house with your kids and your wife or however that goes about. You have to begin to understand that as God changes your heart, as God's word speaks to you, God's word is a fertilizer that, plant, that helps strengthen what has been planted. And so God wants to change your relationships drastically. Listen to what he says in this in Colossians chapter 3. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, God knows how big our struggle is. He knows the deepest issue we have, the eternal, internal, eternal issue, and we try to fix things on our own. A lot of times we're like, well, if I just work harder. And I want you to understand that Jesus didn't just give us these principles to make our relationships and marriages better. He sent himself so that we could have him. And the desire should be that I want to desire my relationship with Jesus first. Why? Because as my relationship with Jesus grows, everything else is great. And so Jesus wants to get you, wants to get into your life. He wants to weed your garden. He wants to remove the sin. He wants to get rid of the selfishness and, with which we operate. And he wants to plant life into your life. He wants to plant hope into your relationships. And while we're not perfect people, we have a perfect and loving God. A God who paid the price for our sins. A God that came to give us life and life more abundantly. A God who desires that your relationships, your marriages, would reflect him first and foremost. The question is, are you pulling weeds and planting seeds? Are you just pulling weeds? Or are you just neglecting the relationship in general? That's the big thing. Because your relationships can be neglected as long as you want to let them go. The longer you let it go, the worse it's going to get. You ever notice how a garden that hasn't been taken care of for a while becomes a pain in the rear end? Like instead of going out and slowly picking a weed here or two, you know, every day or so, 
you neglect it for years, and all of a sudden it's like, well, I think I'm going to have a garden. And you go out there, you're like, oh my gosh. Maybe I'll change my mind. Maybe a garden wasn't a good idea. That's what will happen in your relationships if you go down that road. You get to a point where you're not pulling the weeds and you're not planting seeds, and guess what? All of a sudden you go, well, maybe marriage wasn't a good idea. Maybe that love feeling went away. Maybe I should just give up. You know what? Heck with the marriage. Heck with the garden. I'm going to go have fun. Father, we thank you for the fact that Jesus did not give up. He did not quit. He didn't let love be based upon a feeling. But God, he made the choice to stay on the cross, to die for the sins of the world, to pay the price that we couldn't pay so that we could be redeemed and made righteous when we put our faith and trust in him. And so God, today I know that maybe there are some broken relationships, maybe there are just some struggles God, that you are in the redeeming process. And it's not just redeeming our own lives with your death on the cross. But God, you want to redeem our marriages. You want to redeem our relationships with our kids. You want to make right those things so that we can be a a good picture of what the gospel represents. What a family should do that is living out uh, gospel-centered priorities. And so, God, I pray today, just as we respond with the song, that you would do your work, that your spirit would show us exactly what it is. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If, as, we're, as we're singing, as you stand, if you have questions, you have doubts, you have struggles, you want to talk with somebody, I'm going to be up here. I would love to pray with you. If you have, if you have needs to be prayed for, I want to pray for you. It doesn't even have to be marriage or relationship issues, just to pray. We're going to close with the song, and you'll be dismissed.